Welcome to ATRA, Voices from the Field. This sustainable agriculture podcast is presented by the National Center for Appropriate Technology with support from USDA Rural Business Cooperative. Hi, this is Rich Myers with NCAT. In this episode, John Wallace, the farm manager of NCAT ATRA's SIFT farm, that's S-I-F-T, which stands for Small Scale Intensive Farm Training, talks with Victorian Tilly about the farm's shift from growing food to sell to growing food to help meet the nutritional needs of the community through donating to local charities. The SIF farm is located at NCAT's headquarters in Butte, Montana, where John and Victorian both work. Victorian is an AmeriCorps member with Energy Corps, and she is currently the farm energy educator at NCAT. The farm's goals in the past were focused on proving economic viability. Now it has transitioned toward donating to charitable organizations in our community. With an emphasis on growing more pounds rather than higher value, the SIFT farm has selected a few staple crops to expand to reach those needs. John and Victorian chat about why the SIFT farm has made these changes, which organizations they are donating to, and how addressing community needs has influenced production plans for the following year. Let's listen. Hello, my name is Victorian Tilly. I'm here with John Wallace to discuss uh, building a production plan to address community needs. I'm originally from Mississippi. I just recently moved up to Butte, Montana to serve on the Energy Corps team here at the National Center for Appropriate Technology. And for the next year or so, I'll be serving as the farm energy educator. Um, in Mississippi, I worked on a small um, organic vegetable and cut flower farm as the harvest manager. So as an interest in sustainable agriculture, I uh, was interested in interviewing John here today. Thanks, Victorian. Um, I just want to give a little brief background. Um, my name is John Wallace. I am the SIF farm manager. SIF stands for Small Scale Intensive Farm Training. And what we do is we set up demonstrations to show the community uh, different sustainable methods for growing food. Um, part of that has begun as trying to understand what the economic viability of a farm in our region is. And I want to break that down into a few goals of ours. Uh, originally, we tried to market and sell our produce that we bought. And so because of that, we're trying to increase profit margins. We're trying to create nutrient-dense food that can be better for fulfilling the, the gap between processed foods and whatnot that are available in our area. And as well, building a local food system where people, everyday people, can help support what our local farmers are trying to do. One of the other things I wanted to kind of dig a little deeper into is understanding our history with those markets, uh, specifically with what Butte regionally um, needs. And as we learned that, you know, focusing on the price per square foot of what we could grow, we started to learn some few barriers to this. Um, a lot of those things, I don't know if you've ever heard of Curtis Stone, but he's a urban ag legend over in the Okanagan and British Columbia, and he's helped define what some of these most profitable crops are. And um, through his criteria, he's defined lettuce, radish, spinach, specialty greens, and turnips. 
Uh, all these things have very short days to maturity. And because of that, you can get a high value per square foot. I mean, I believe he's operating off of uh, about half an acre, an acre, mm. and is making about $500,000 a year. Uh, given we've understood these values, what we're trying to do is figure out how that applies to our community. And what I've come to find out is the average um, average citizen of Butte doesn't really want to eat radish, lettuce, kale, and some of these specialty greens. It's very much more of a meat and potatoes kind of place. Yeah, um, sounds familiar. And, and, and to go on to that more, it has a lot to do with our history in mining. It has to do with this uh, view of toxicities in the soils. A lot of people are afraid to grow their own food. And um, at the same time, we're also trying to figure out what is the... What is, what is the price that people are willing to pay for produce? Um, you know, it's very easy to identify some of the most profitable crops, but that does not necessarily mean that those crops are what are needed for the community. Mm. Um, we have a very high homeless population here. And we start to look at, um, you know, different portions of our economy and citizens that need these nutrient-dense foods how do we best supply them to them? And what are they looking for? Mm. So how did, sort of after you built the, kind of built the SIF Farms operation on Curtis Stone's, you know, like growing these few crops um, to get maximum, you know, price point, maximum value, how did that end up working for you as far as the community is concerned? Well, I found certain things that definitely worked, and I found certain things that didn't. You know, it's very easy to build a crop plan when you're, you know, dealing with a, a generous area. I mean, we're only growing on about an acre, but if you start thinking about growing things like radish and spinach and um, specialty greens, that doesn't take up a lot of space. And you're able to get m many, many successions out of it. Mm. And so if we were just focusing on these things, we would have found that we don't have a market to fill that. Um we were kind of figuring out our potential, and then we started to realize that maybe we need to take a separate look at what the community wants rather than what we can grow for the highest profitability. And that is actually a very important question. So um, we really started to look at different crops, things that maybe weren't going to drive our profit margin up higher, but uh, things that people needed, like squash, cabbage, carrots. Um, a lot of these things can be harvested in bulk and at one time mm. of the year it really cuts down on labor and trying to wash and package things and and market them um, yet the community wants them I mean you know you go right. talk to the the food bank and you know they don't want beets radish turnips. yeah fancy <laughs> colored radishes and crazy colored lettuces yeah, no, they, they did want the carrots they wanted the they wanted some uh, really you know, Still nutrient-dense foods um, and, you know, still grown locally, yet uh, they're easier to to store. They're less mm. perishable. More familiar with, more with what they're going to do with in the kitchen. Less educational needs on what to do with it. I mm. mean, you know, when you start working with some of these things like kohlrabi, a lot of things, people just look at that and say, what's that alien vegetable? Yeah. <laughs> How am I going to use that? So, you know, what we want to do is really find the community's needs rather than drive up profitability. Awesome. 
So going forward, how kind of how is the production plan going to shift um, in 2019 with more of a community kind of perspective in mind? Well, the first thing we did is we went and identified some of the organizations that really work well with our mission statement. And these are all nonprofit organizations that really work with a lower income community and trying to increase education on how to use food and identifying gaps in, you know, skills for, for people trying to find jobs and such so that we can train people to better serve our community and kind of take away these barriers and really paint a picture of what is truly maybe not sustainable or resilient, whatever words you want to use best for that, but what's going to work for Butte. And that's the biggest thing. Uh, And through that, we've identified quite a few. I mean, one of the obvious ones is the food bank. I mean, food bank distributes food to Knights of Columbus, a few brown brown lunch programs around um, the city, and they're actively out there getting people fed. That's a huge one for us. Um, That's what we want to see. But that being said, we also want to see our food used as an educational tool and really trying to understand deeper of what those needs are of the community, um, you know. So we started looking at other um, programs. Uh, SnapEd Nutrition Program was one of them. The SnapEd Nutrition Program, what they do is they teach um, people who have SNAP benefits to make their food dollar go further. And I think that that's an important concept to, to understand um, you know, it's a big issue in the United States right now and trying to understand how the best use of this government money could be put forward. And so by teaching people not only how to cook their own food from scratch, you're making their food dollars go further, they're eating healthier, it's less of a strain on the economy, and not only that, they were working with uh, another group called Dishability. And Dishability is a group where they, um, it's actually a food truck that they set up to work with uh um, Montana developmental disabilities. Um, and they were able to use some of this food to help train basic food prep skills and, and sales for, for people with developmental disabilities. And that alone makes the value of, I, f- I feel at least the value of what we've donated go much further. Mm. And I, I like to see more stuff like that. Um, another group that we donated to was uh, the Heart of Butte. It's a nonprofit organization that helps set up the community cafe, which is uh, Butte's first uh, pay what you can type of restaurant. And so people who might not be able to flip the bill for a full meal can come in and um, get what they need. And that's another issue that I'd like to bring up is, uh, you know, focusing on nutrient dense foods. I'd like to see that the food that we donate and feed people is healthy and is representative of a well-balanced diet. So I've uh, been working with one of the chefs um, out there, uh, Daniel Hogan, and he's done a great job just working with almost anything we have. I mean, this goes from uh, pea shoots and microgreens all the way down to uh, overgrown flowering herbs, you know, things that maybe we wouldn't have been able to market before, but now we're actually getting it to where it needs to go. And that's, that's huge to me as well. I, I'd really like to see that no longer are we you know, selling 80% of the food we bring to market and taking 20% back that's perishable, but rather be really focusing on um, how to get the most food out there effectively. Yeah. 
That's awesome. So it's meeting people where they are really more so than focusing on, you know, mar- market value and selling to farmers markets and, um, you know, like you said, also focusing on nutrient dense foods, you know, so keeping with the organic or, you know, naturally grown practices that you've had on the sift farm, um, as well as just, you know, expanding people's awareness of different kinds of veggies. Yeah, So exactly. Exactly that. Uh, we really are just trying to figure out how to supply the best food and what is the best way or what are the best types of food to grow? Uh, understandably, you know, when you start looking at what the profitability is for things like squash and potatoes, um, we're not going to be maximizing that profit margin anymore. So we're really going to have to be looking at kind of, um, what, (laughs) what's the best bang for our buck? Um, you know, how do we feed 150 people, 300 people? Mm. Um, where can we find outlets that are able to process and cook the food and deliver the food? Uh, those are more of our, you know, defined goals this time around. Um, and even having one year under the belt, what we're doing is redirecting a lot of these specialty crop items that we previously used to grow and trying to figure out amounts and adjust that to a crop plan specifically for next year. Right. So in 2018, how how many um, how much food was donated? How many pounds? Uh, overall, we donated over 450 pounds of food, uh, split up between those organizations. Um, those were kind of we're still trying to figure out, I guess, um, w- what our most prior what how to prioritize those donations um you know snap ed was an easy thing because you know we were given a list of uh foods that they were going to try to teach people um how to cook and so we were able to kind of work through their schedule but that was only for a few weeks you know so the bulk of our food is still being prioritized towards the food bank Mm. Um, but you know in a diverse cropping system like what we're trying to demonstrate as a sustainable method we have to kind of analyze, you know, companion cropping, say, you know, cilantro, you know, we're still going to grow these things, but where do we outlet them to? And so that's when a lot of these other um, groups really came in, especially Dishability and Heart of Butte, because they were so willing to work with anything over a broad time scale. So um, try not still identify what other types of charitable organizations that work well with this new cropping system so that we can still maximize and get the most benefit from a uh, diversified cropping system. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome, John. It's, it's really nice to have, you know, chef or owner of or director of an organization really excited about this as well. So you could, it's just a, you know, nice relationship and nice collaboration whenever, you have people excited within the community that are that are really wanting to oh, absolutely. spread the word. Absolutely. And specifically, you know, one, one thing that brought uh, a big smile to my face is when all my cilantro bolted and you know, the chef said, well, you know, can I use the roots? And I said, well, you know, I've never really <laughs> done much with that. But he straight up pulled out all the plants, took the roots home, washed them and, and uh, ground them up and used them as a, a marinade wow worked them into a marinade and those are some some things that i never even thought about with an an, an original plan of trying to market um you know organic produce uh so in the end and i'm looking through some of my figures here but 
um, in the end, we ended up donating about two and a half thousand dollars worth of uh, vegetables. And that is considering that we took a change in direction. Um, that redirection obviously meant us choosing lower value per pound um, produce. And so we did see a, a little knock in that. Originally, we were about producing about $5,000 worth of produce. Um, and if you imagine that uh, not all of that was sold at market, right? then, you know, there's still a little loss in there. So in the end, we are no longer <laughs> missing a gap in what is actually reaching the tables, which to me is a huge benefit, um, you know, and uh, I think as we continue on, we're going to be able to refine what we grow. Um, again, saying that means a lot of these um, lower valued, uh, and I, I use that, um, you know, with some constraint because by lower value, we're not saying it has less nutrients or anything. Um, these are still healthy foods that are grown locally without chemicals. And so we're, what we're trying to do is figure out how to make that go further. So you mentioned cabbage, carrots. Cabbage, carrots. Uh, potatoes is going to be a new one we're going to introduce this year. You know, we're very close to Idaho who can produce carrots for, you know, a dollar a pound, if not less. And, um, we're going to have to compete with markets like that, but no longer are we selling it. So it's, mm. I, I, I basically see us taking a little bit of a hit because of that. But, um, you know, if we're all going to be sitting here growing high end produce, for a community that doesn't need it, then where does that food go? And that's one of the biggest questions I've been trying to run around in my mind, especially with some uh, local food systems work that we've been doing, is how do we address those community needs? It's very obvious to me that, you know, some of the high-end grass-fed cattle that's all grown around us isn't being eaten by Montanans. It's going off to niche markets, uh, you know, where they can really make a pretty penny off of it. Um, you know, big restaurants in uh, Big Sky that cater to tourists. And that's where a lot of this stuff is being sold to, to make these farms viable. Uh, they have to get that top dollar. And that's the way, the same way that we originally approached this is the same way that most farms in our area are approaching it. And, um, you know, we're lucky in the sense that, you know, we are a nonprofit and we do take a lot of pride in working with our community mm. and we're able to kind of understand this a little deeper but at the same time you know who are we really trying to grow with our sustainable marketing systems um you know i really do think that uh, butte is its own little niche and we're going to figure it out over time yes awesome thank you so much john it seems you know, really appropriate, like you said, for NCAT to, to be able, you know, we have the capacity to to really um, hone in our community outreach and kind of, you know, like we said earlier, meet people where they are. And, um, yeah, I think that's awesome, a little bit of redirection of a production plan in order to address community needs. Um, sounds awesome. And we look forward to 2019. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to ATRA, Voices from the Field. Depending on the platform you're listening to us on, be sure to rate us and leave a review or comment. For more information on this topic, you can contact John Wallace directly via email at johnw at 
That's J-O-H-N-W at N-C-A-T dot org. And Victorian Tilly at Victorian T at N-C-A-T dot org. That's V-I-C-T-O-R-I-A-N-T at N-C-A-T dot org. In the notes below this podcast, we'll have links to the SIFT Farm website, as well as the Facebook page of Curtis Stone, the author that John was talking about during the uh, podcast. We'll also have a list of ATRA resources that are related to the topic. Please call ATRA with any and all of your sustainable agriculture questions at 1-800-346-9140 or email us at askanag at ncat.org. That's A-S-K-A-N-A-G at N-C-A-T dot org. Our two dozen specialists can help you with a vast array of topics Everything from farm planning to pest management, from produce to livestock, and soils to aquaculture. You can get in touch with them and find our other extensive and free sustainable agriculture publications, webinars, videos, and other resources at our website, www.atra.incat.org. That's www.attra.ncat.org. We'll catch you next week, and until then, keep on farming.